Zero Tiro, podcast by Kobes Visser, the Superman of South Africa, where we take normal individuals to reach their full potential. The following podcast uh, was an interview I'd done on Salam Media, and it's a little bit about my story about climbing Kilimanjaro, mental strength, firewalking, and hemophilia. My guest is a firewalker. That's what he says. He is the guru here in South Africa. His name is Corbus Fisser. He has also climbed Mount Kili on his crutches. So there's a story that needs to be told. Let's hear why and how this man has walked on fire. Corbus Fisser, good afternoon. Welcome to Salaam Media. Salaam Alaikum and thank you for having me today on the show. And I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. Walaikum Assalam, great to have you here. Now, the reason I kind of, uh, well, you know, your name came to my attention is we were trying to talk to someone about um, National Hemophilia Day. And for some reason, your name popped up popped up amongst all of that literature. Uh, and we kind of, you know, sifted it out. And here you are sitting with us because you do suffer from the disease. That's um, correct. Let's talk about that first and how that disease, which was impacting your life in such a negative way, um, started a whole new journey for you and has enriched your life so much. How old were you when you, you know, when you learned or realized that there was something wrong with you? Um, Julie, um, yeah, you get born with hemophilia. Yeah. And uh, some, uh, they say it's the royal disease. Actually comes <laughs> from the royals of Europe, you okay. know, where it started, especially Queen Victoria, you know, uh, oldest son died of, uh, of hemophilia. Um, so you think you're of royal blood? <laughs> well, I like to think that, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever the mind thinks, you know, you yeah, can become. Yeah. True, true. And uh, so, yeah, I was born. It wasn't our family. You know, what happens with hemophilia, the, the woman is the carrier. Mm. So she gets the boys and the boys are usually what we call is the bleeder. He's the one with the physical um, challenges and the bleeding that doesn't clot. Where if uh, the woman gives it to the woman and the woman becomes a carrier. Now, mm. in my family, they knew that in our family, a previous um, sons was born and then they bled to death. You know, And so they knew it was in our family. Just to give you an idea, my youngest brother, or uh, both my cousins are, and three of my uncles are. So it is in our family. But yeah. There's families out there that when they get sons, they didn't know they have hemophilic. And then the boys get um, born and they find it out later. And, you know, the sad part is there's a few that have died at childbirth Mm. or just a few months after childbirth because they didn't know they were hemophilic. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is the treatment? And I should imagine you are on chronic treatment for the rest of your life yes for the rest of my life so so how because you look really hale and hearty as you sit here in front of me yes it's actually amazing (laughs) i have i have improved if you saw me a few years ago you wouldn't have said the same you see what hemophilic is it is the blood doesn't clot Mm. so we keep on bleeding so just through a cut we keep bleeding but the challenge with a hemophilic is we bleed internally Uh and so because of all of the bleedings our joints start to disintegrate now just to show for people on facebook that my elbow can't even go straight i don't don't have elbows and the same with my ankles you know I, I don't physically have strength because I can't exercise I don't oh. have I don't have muscles even so oh. what happens is because of the bleeds we keep our joints still and so then the muscle sort of deteriorates mm-hmm. because as you see I can't make it straight and mm-hmm. it becomes painful so how do we stop it uh, well there is something called plasma 
Mm. And like when people go give blood, they take out the plasma and they make what we call factor eight because mm. I'm deficient of factor eight. I'm less than 1%, so it means I'm severe. And uh, I've been around, uh, I've faced death a few times where I have bleeding on the brain and I ended up in a coma mm. and they had to operate to let the bleeding go. But to stop it, uh, we just inject every second day or a third day, we inject this uh, factor eight and that stops the bleeding. And uh, now, if you are on this lifelong uh, regime of injecting yourself with factor eight, um, is it kind of almost certain that you won't die an early death, um, or is there is there a uh, mortality cutoff rate or date or? Uh, you know, uh, of of people suffering from the condition. So, you know, you often hear about a certain condition. People won't live beyond 20 or 21 or 31 or 41 or, you know, midlife. What's the story with hemophilia? Yeah, so when I was born, interesting, in 82, the life expectancy was 11 years. Um, I know some of those hemophilias is older than me. It was the same time AIDS came out as well. So a lot of them got AIDS, HIV, because of uh, because it's a blood product. Mm. And so when I was born, the age expectancy was 11. Now, with products that have been um, on the market and getting better in technology, um, it's 87 now. Um, but the challenge with hemophiliacs is as we grow older, some of us haven't been old. So the, the doctors don't know how we, they're going to mm. treat us growing old, you know, like mm-hmm. hip replacements, um, teeth, um, old age, um, challenges like that. But the thing is with me, you know, if I, I don't have my factor with me and nobody knows that if I end up in a car accident or in a, in a robbery or somewhere, I can bleed to death. So mm. my chances of dying is probably 10 times higher than the normal person, especially in accidents. How, and I know you're married and I know you have children. How do your loved ones deal with the problem? And how anxious or stressful is it for them? Or is it just has it just become part of life for them as well? I think it is a challenge. I think um, a lot of uh, hemophiliacs go through a divorce as well because it's difficult for a wife to understand. And I know with my, uh, my wife as well because you bleed. Okay, you like another child in the house. There's certain days I wake up. So when you bleed, what happens to you? Explain to us the, uh, you know, how it impacts on your body, your mind, etc. Okay, so I would probably wake up in the morning or I would carry something and then it will start bleeding in the joint. So it could start swelling up and it becomes... Oh, so that's the sign that it's bleeding. Yes, mm. and then it becomes so painful. You know, you can't smile when you're <laughs> in pain, right? You're not positive when you're in pain. So you, you become like... Um, a difficult child, if you have to say it that way. I, you can't walk. Just to get to the bathroom is a challenge. Um, you have to have... You can't be in full-time employer, I should imagine. Yes, and that's the most uh, challenging thing for most hemophiliacs. Mm. They don't uh, have long employment because the employers don't even understand. Mm. And so it brings a lot of anxious, it brings a lot of looking after, and it drains the other person. And, uh, you know, and I think that is uh, the challenge, is people don't understand. You know, like you said, to me when you come of course you look good but tomorrow I, I might wake up and I would be in pain and the whole day in bed mm-hmm. and that means no work and that also means that your loved one or your partner needs to be the caregiver for the day or for as long as you're going to be in bed yes mm-hmm. and and I think uh, I take my hat off uh, for those hemophiliacs uh, their wives and their support givers you know if it wasn't for my parents um, you know, my mom sort of uh, brought me up in cotton wool because 
you know, as a child, you're active. And just imagine the stress the mom has to go through to look after you as a child. And uh, just the smallest bump um, can end you up in hospital or have you die. Now, you knew that you're suffering from the condition and you also know that your life expectancy is not, uh, you know, great, that you could, um, you know, there's no guarantee on life whether you're healthy or not. But you could not be here tomorrow or next month or next year, for example, because you may be in a situation where you're bleeding and you don't have your plasma available with you and you're just going to die, you know, uh, a painful death in in those few short hours. But that hasn't stopped you from going on... Uh, trying to get the best and the most out of life. How have, what have you done differently to other people? You, you said no. You said you're not going to curl up and die in a corner. And I think one of the things that spurred you on also was your four year old son who, not understanding what the situation is, just kind of gave up on you. Tell us that story. Yeah, Julia, they say your attitude determines your altitude. And so my son gets born, and at that time of my life, I was struggling to walk. I couldn't drive because I couldn't change manual gears. And your wife still married you. And she still married me. (laughs) She must be some woman. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And um, so he gets born, and we rush to the hospital. And I get there, and... uh, I can't pick him up. I don't have the strength. My elbows are so in pain. And so just imagine him growing up. I could never pick him up. I could never hold him. And uh, and that, that was a big burden on me. And uh, at four years old, we were expecting another child. We didn't know if it's a boy or a girl. And so he was drawing this picture of uh, us as a family. And he comes to, he draws two little babies. And the one he draws a crossover and he says, Dad, I don't want a sister, you know, because I want a little brother to play with me because you can't play with me. And then he comes to him and his mom and then he comes to me and I have also a cross over me. And as he explains this, he says, Dad, you are dead to me. And that broke me, Julie. And that brought me actually today where I am today. It put me on a self-discovery journey where I had to go discover, but how can I overcome this? Because in my mind at that point was either suicide, how can I live? I can't rather let me go. How can I support my son? I can't even play him. Maybe he can find another dad that will always look after him. And so I went a weekend away. And I'd, uh, there was uh, fire walking. Just before you yes. get there, just before you get to the really interesting stuff, how did you manage to survive all this time? Um, you said your mom almost wrapped you up in cotton wool. She really took great care of you. Then you went on and you found uh, the girl that you were eventually going to marry. That's your wife today. Um, how did you explain to your wife uh, your condition and how challenging it will be? And I should imagine it puts a huge strange strain on the relationship and the marriage. And also, how were you able to keep afloat as far as employment is concerned? Because every other day or every other week, you have bleeds and then you need to stay in bed. Uh, yeah, that was a challenge. I, I don't think she still understands today what it entails. You know, it's easy to explain to people, but if they look at me and say, but Kobus, you look normal. So it's difficult to understand. Um, but uh, I'm fortunate enough that my dad at a young age started his own business. Uh, he's in the furniture trade and he's, he has a few shops in Limpopo and uh, that helped me to work because he could understand and so the days that I couldn't work I would either stay home or he would understand but when I met my wife to explain to her in the beginning 
didn't understand. Doctors at school, you know, the teachers didn't even understand. I was bullied a lot of school. It was difficult for me to go to school in my crutches or in a wheelchair and so clearly you weren't a rugby player. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was a chase player. Okay. Yeah, and, and it was a challenge because kids would see, but one day Gerbis is fine and the next day, why can't he play rugby? Why can't he play sport? And, the, the, you know, they would make jokes about it. Oh, he's a bleeder and oh, you're going to bleed to death and you know, making funny jokes. And it was difficult for me. So you were bullied at school, obviously. You had probably a very low self-esteem and really didn't feel good about yourself probably thought that you're not going to amount to much and you're probably going to just get into your little corner and uh, kind of curl up and die at some point in your life you're also contemplated suicide at some point what kind of pulled you back on the brink of taking your life you know to imagine you know to get to a point to want to commit suicide that is the biggest thing you know, I think it takes guts to get to that point um, and it takes to a point where you can't handle the pain physically emotionally and um, you know it got to that point where I was at the point of doing it and if it wasn't for a one friend that believed in me that said Kubis I can see you not in a good space come with me you know and I just I, I, I just took the opportunity and said yes and I went to a weekend seminar and at that weekend I saw people walk on fire and I'm like I wouldn't be able to do that and uh, but the guy told those and said just imagine if you can do you know how many of us believe fire burns right and it's 500 to 600 degrees. And he said, if you can walk over this and you don't get burned, what other beliefs do you hold on that you think is true but you never question them? Mm. And I looked at it and I fought and I walked over that fire that night with my friend. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, I didn't get burned. And that changed your life? Oh, that, that changed my mindset. All the How together. long ago was this? That was in 2012. Okay, so um, what about six, eight years ago? So, you can say about seven years ago, yeah. Uh, this was just before you got married, I presume. No, I was already married. married. Uh, how did it change your life um, in a very positive way in terms... I also know that you're now involved at the Hemophilia Foundation. Um, so you walked over fire... I still can't get my mind around that concept, but we, you know, we'll talk about that uh, some more. And that made you realize you, your, what did you say earlier on? Your attitude determines, determines your altitude. That's great. And you also went on and you climbed Mount Kilimanjaro on crutches. Yes. When did that happen and how did you train to get to that point? Yeah, it, it, it was interesting, this journey of mine, um, and uh, to think about walking over fire. In 2015, beginning of 2015, I woke up one morning and I couldn't walk. Both my ankles were so painful that I couldn't be, even put my weight on it. Now, as a hemophilia, we know we just inject ourselves and it takes about two days and then we're much better and we can walk again. But that two days became one week. One Ooh. week became one month. One month be suddenly became six months. So yeah. what went wrong that you weren't getting better? It was when I went for x-rays, and I have the x-rays still, is that my joints was just disintegrated. It was basically bone on bone. There was no more joint. And so the doctors wanted to fuse my ankles to help to take the pain away replace my one elbow and it takes six months per ankle that I would be in bed and going for rehabilitation and I was just thinking I need to support my family how can I 
do this and something needs to change. I've learned walking over fire that your mind is powerful. And I thought, let me do some research. What can I do? You know, Gandhi said, everything starts with a belief that becomes our thoughts, that becomes our words, that becomes our actions, our habits, our values, and ultimately leads to our destiny. And I said, let me see if I can change my destiny. And so one day I saw this documentary about a guy in a wheelchair and another guy in crutches climbing Kilimanjaro, and they're from South Africa. And I thought, but okay, I'm not strong enough to get in a wheelchair, but I'm in a wheelchair now. But what if I can get in crutches? But those ones that are underneath your shoulders, you know, that you can lean on. If I can get it, maybe I should go climb Kilimanjaro. Not believing that I would. But it was just a nice changing the belief, you know, and the thought process. So I started sharing this with everyone. And I've quickly realized there's people that don't believe in our dreams. And I quickly said, but let me cut them out. And they were people that believed in me, that even said, Kubis, I will go with you. At one point, I had 50 people saying they're coming with me. In the end of the day, only eight of us went. But it made me believe, understand that. How many months of preparation and training do you have to put in? And did you summit? Um, so I'm going to get there. So 2016, <laughs> um, I started sharing this. And about by 2017, people said, but Kubis, you're just talking. You know, you Keep on talking, you're going to go, when are you going? You, when are you giving us a date? So 2017, I've been walking with my crutches a few days without, but most of the days with. So 2017, I said, okay, I'm getting stronger already. So how strong can I be in a year's time? And so I said, okay, July 2018, I'm going to climb. I booked my ticket, and so there was no turning back. And so I started preparation. And in the beginning, I could only walk 100 meters, 200 meters. And then every day, I started pushing myself, pushing myself. And like Gandhi said, I started thinking I can. I started saying to people, I can, I'm going to. And so whatever we hear and whatever we see makes us feel, and then it becomes our reality. And so suddenly, my reality started to change. And I got better. And better, and I started getting people believing in me, pushing me, and say, we're coming with, you can do this. And so, in the end of the day, I got stronger. And so, 2018, we went to climb Kilimanjaro, and we did, we did the Mashaomi route. Let me tell you, you know, you think you stand down there, and you look at the mountain, and it's high. And then every day, you have to take steps. The first day, I wanted to give up. I got to the first camp. We started at 8 o'clock that morning. We got 8 o'clock there that night. I was done. My ankles were in pain, my, my, my elbows, my shoulders were in pain, and I couldn't walk that night. And I'm thinking, I can't even put weight on my ankles. How am I going to do it tomorrow? And, but I have faith in God. And so the next morning, I felt better after my injections, and I knew today I can. And then you think, oh, first day, that was the toughest. Probably. How many days did the, uh, did the uh, ascent take you? It was seven days. Seven days. And I got through every day. After every challenge, you know, my team was amazing. They they lifted me up. They gave me foot massages. They made sure I had water. They carried my backpack so, I, so that I have less. And when you did this climb, was it to highlight any specific um, cause? Yes, for the Hemophilia Foundation. Oh, there you go. Yes, and it was to inspire as well, inspire mm. people, inspire hemophiliacs. And uh, you ask the question, did I make it? We started that night at 9 o'clock. We walked. Minus 16 degrees oh. And so I was just below Stella Point the, one, the top of Kili And then before Uru And I was sitting there Looking at the sunrise And I was giving up I cried and I said I can't My body can't take it I can't breathe I'm in too much pain And so my one friend His name was Will Sit next to me And he said I will go down with you You don't have to push yourself To the brink of death 
And I was thinking there, maybe I should go. But I looked at him and I said, well, don't give up your dream, go. I have my porters, I will be fine. And as he left, he looked me in the eye and he says, Quibbers, just remember why did you came? What is your reason why? And so he left. In a few minutes, it was like when I remember my wife, my kids and everyone, I started thinking of, okay, let me go. And I pushed myself. And I only got to Stella Point, the top of the Kilimanjaro, but not the highest part. And I was so relieved. And I knew, you know, sometimes we need to know our limits. I knew if I pushed myself to the, the top that I will die because I almost died. Coming down, they had to send people to carry me down because my body just started shutting down to a point where they carried me down in a wheelchair, not a wheelchair, a, a, a flat thing that I lied on. Stretcher. Uh-huh. And um, they had to fly in a helicopter in the end of the day. But, you know, I realized seeing the positive in everything. As I was sitting there, the helicopter came. Look, you've achieved something that most people dream about and they'll never ever achieve, not even in 10 lifetimes. Yes, and I was sitting there as the helicopter came. I said, and then I realized God telling me and says, "Don't worry about coming down. I've sent you a chariot to come down." And go. that's why I say, look at positive. And mm-hmm. how many of us are able bodies that give up on their dreams, mm, that absolutely. give up on doing the extreme because we only have one life. All right. So then, congratulations on that. I'm more than certain it's touched many lives. Uh, will you do it again? Um, I'm thinking of going next year to Everest Base Camp. Oh, okay. You're too brave. Um, when did you decide to become a motivational speaker and how are you touching lives and making a difference? It actually came from self. I, I just thought I'm going to you know, share my story with a little few people. But the more I shared it, the more I got out there and the more people pushed me into the limelight. And then I realized, you know, getting the feedback from people. You know, I teach people something called the fire hug. It's where you make eye contact first because you acknowledge the person in front of you. And then you hug heart to heart. You know, there's science behind it, heart math. And then when you hug, you breathe in together. Your brain, if you do it for 20 seconds, your brain releases serotonin. And I realized by teaching this, I, I, I could connect families together again. I could connect a father and daughter that didn't talk for 10 years. And he went to see and to say, apologize. And he gave her that hug. And since to that day, they're the best of friends. The hug changed people's life. And the feedback I got realized, people come up to say, Scoobers, you touched my life. Don't give up. Please go share your story. And so that's we- why. When, how can people sign up to, to attend one of the motivational talks? Please invite me to the next one. Definitely. <laughs> um, so the next one is the 24th of May. It is in Centurion at the Centurion Golf Estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to know more about me, just go to a website called supermanlife.com. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's very easy because they call me the Superman of South Africa. Wow. And I like to help people discover their superpowers, basically. Okay. Unfortunately, I can't join you on the 24th. It's still the month of Ramadan, as you know. But right after, please, let's talk. I'd like to come in, observe um, what you do. So how long do these sessions run? Um, Whom would you say would be an ideal candidate or ideal candidates to attend the session? What are they going to get out of it, apart from the fire walking? Yeah, so It is the fire walking, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. So it's two to three hours, and I'm doing every month and I say everyone is allowed uh, can come even if you can just come and watch Mm. because it will definitely touch you 
What does it cost? Um, it costs 300 Rand to come and helps cover the cost and the, the venue. And it's just my way of giving back to inspire people. Amazing. We're going to wrap up now. What else do you want to leave our viewers, our listeners with? I, I want to leave people to say that don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow hasn't happened yet. Uh-huh. Rather live today. If there's someone you haven't told you love them, do it today because tomorrow might be too late. And just live. Okay. How are you able to change the mindset? And, you know, we, we get all sorts of different people in life. Are you able to change the mindset of very negative people? You know, someone that's constantly complaining and constantly negative about everything in her life. Everything around her is wrong. And it's everybody else's fault that it's wrong and will not take responsibility for things going wrong in life. Yes, definitely. You know, they say you can't take a horse to water and make a drink. But what if you give it salt? Then it will get thirsty to drink. And that's what it's about. And how do you give them the salt? You give them a purpose to live for. Right. And a reason why. And that makes a change. And you work full-time at the Hemophilia Foundation? Um, Actually, Um, part-time. I do full-time where I consult with people, either in a personal capacity or in a business capacity, to help them change mindset. Like most people complain the economy is bad in the country. I say, why don't you look at it as the best time to be in business? And so changing that mindset, bringing success. Uh, How long have you been in this business, your uh, motivational speaking? You can say basically full-time from 2016. So it's motivational and life coaching and business coaching is and people do they do you get feedback it's hey Aquibus, this is not working hasn't done anything for me or do you get people saying that you've helped me change my mindset i get that you know i say to people if i don't bring results in your life i give your money back because oh, then i'm wasting my time <laughs> okay and that's where we have to leave it was wonderful talking to you what a story um i hope there's a book in there some somewhere. oh it's coming it's uh, there's coming. already one that's going to be launched now end of the month about right. uh, the extraordinary you the power of you and then and then down my kilimanjaro journey there you go uh talk to you soon bring your book in and come and talk to us definitely with love. oh well thank you indeed. thank you julie bye-bye Thank you for listening to my podcast. Please tune in next time when I take you to your next level. Please share with all of your friends and all social media. Have a nice day.